Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 156, where I sit down with speaker, author, and developer, Alan Morse. Alan has lived an incredible life and career and has been wildly successful. And today we talk about his uh, change of attitude, his change of perspective when it comes to building the kingdom of God versus his own kingdom. We talk a lot about self-examination and the work he does now to help other entrepreneurs with seeing the world through a different lens. If you have ever felt overwhelmed or if you've ever felt like you're in over your head or you just need a new perspective, this conversation is for you. And if you do like the conversation, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a rating or review on iTunes or Spotify, and hey, maybe even share this episode with a friend. It's the highest compliment you can give us. So now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Alan Morris. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to be here with CEO, leader, and author, uh, Alan Morris. Alan, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to connect with us here on the Reclamation Podcast. Hey, it's great to be with you today. Um, I wanted to start. I like to jump right into things. And I was looking at your hobby list, and it's ridiculous uh, in the best way possible. And uh, it says that you're uh, a pilot, fourth degree black belt, scuba diver, hunter. And so I want to start with a really hard question. If you could only do one of your hobbies for the rest of your life, what would it be? I think it would be flying. Okay. Uh, I, I've loved flying since I was a college student, got my private pilot's license in the Georgia Tech Flying Club. And uh, now, uh, now I fly jets at 45,000 feet. So uh, it's been a, a beautiful experience. Uh, you know, there's something exhilarating about the freedom of flight. Yeah, uh, so I'm in Dayton, Ohio, the birthplace of aviation. Uh, regardless of what anybody from North Carolina says, it all starts here. They just had good wind. And so um, <laughs> if, you, if you've never been to the National Museum of the United States Air Force, you should definitely come check it out. It, it is a, a, an aviator's dream. I would love to go there. I've always uh, wanted to see the Wright Brothers Bicycle Shop and where they formulated their idea for their first flying machine. It's a beautiful right. space. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Uh, one of the things that's super interesting uh, is, is with this new book, All In, as it comes out, you're really sharing your heart in a, in a way that um, most people don't do. And, and so I'm, I'm curious, uh, what was the writing process like for you? And uh, what did it teach you kind of about yourself along the way? Well, uh, I think the writing process turned out to be a lot like the journey uh, that I had been on with the group of men in my uh, YPO, Young Presidents Organization, uh, forum for 26 years. Mm. And um, uh, we began this journey together 26, over 26 years ago, a uh, group of uh, eight of us. And we have uh, uh, found ourselves in a constant process of taking one layer deeper look at the truth about ourselves and our relationships and why we do what we do, which is not the thing you typically hear CEOs talk about. 
Um, it's more than just, you know, uh, pushing earnings for the quarter. It's more than just gaining market share. It's more than creating the best product in the marketplace. It's also about your personal life, because in many ways, uh, the journey of your personal life is reflected in your business and your career. And what we found in writing the book, what I found in writing the book, was it was really just recounting the truth about the things I discovered about myself and the truth these other men discovered about themselves that they wanted to share. I love that. I think one of the things that's interesting is as I hear you talk, I'm like, I'm, I'm an absolute agreement that your personal life really reflects your business. But uh, I would be remiss if I didn't also say like business also matters too, right? You guys are all CEOs. And so you have people that you have to report to. And I'm sure that our, our people who are listening, they all have bosses. H- how do we live in the tension of we need to perform and also the tension of we need to have a good life? Well, that's, that's, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful question. And I, I think it's a question I have to keep asking myself every day because every day we face new challenges in life and we have to face that tension of achieving balance between uh, caring for the needs of our family, caring for the needs of our spouse, uh, taking care of ourselves personally. Uh, in other words, uh, can I give myself permission to be kind to myself in the midst of the extreme intensity of running a business in a competitive business environment with all the uh, catastrophes and crises that come up in, in business, in the business world, in the economy, uh, like we're facing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the world economy is going through stress and change. And because of that, a lot of people don't realize the stress that they're under. And so, they are medicating themselves. There was an article in Bloomberg just this morning about a spike in alcoholism for people that have been coming through um, COVID and all the stress of COVID. And now we're, you know, we're watching Russia invade Ukraine and how that's affecting oil prices, how that's affecting inflation, how it's caused a drop in the stock market in the United States and all kinds of other international tensions. Well, We can live in that space and then medicate ourselves by popping another pill or having another drink. Or we can say, what am I, what's going on with me? Am I feeding myself too much on the television? Am I feeding myself too much on CNN and Fox News and and Bloomberg and BBC and MSNBC and all these things? Well, we have to be informed, but I think we have to be careful about uh, how far we go with that and to be aware of the effect it has on us. My listeners know how much I love the idea of living one day at a time. And that's super important for, uh, as a coping mechanism in my life. Uh, we also talk about uh, disciplines a lot here. And we say that if you aren't dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. And uh, I, I'm curious, what are some of the things that you do on a daily basis um, to keep yourself in that right mental space so you can lead uh, not just your companies, but also yourself and your family? Well, that's, that's a really good question. One of the disciplines that, that I use on a daily basis is very similar to most of the men that, that, uh, that are in our retreats and forums and um, that are on this, 
this uh, journey of going all in into their own lives. And one of them, I think the first one, is to constantly ask ourselves the question, number one, what am I feeling right now? Mm. I grew up without any particular value on my feelings. I grew up, my father was a captain in the Navy. And, uh, and uh, so the CEO uh, running his own business. And because of that, um, uh, I grew up with a, uh, with a focus on what am I going to achieve? When am I going to achieve it? And how am I going to succeed? And so there's a little room in there to be aware of your feelings. It's about achievements. And over the course of my life, and as I became a, a CEO and president of my company, and um, took on more and more responsibilities and more community duties, responsibilities um, in, uh, in my church and in my community, as well as in my businesses. Um, I discovered I had become more of a human doing than a human being. Sure. And frankly, disconnected from what I was feeling. Mm. So the first discipline of the disciplines that, that, uh, that are important to me are for me to stop and ask myself, what am I feeling? And why am I feeling that? And to just become, start being more self-aware as the first. If somebody has no experience with that, I mean, there, there's probably somebody listening right now who's like, I want to be more self-aware too, Alan. And uh, wh- what's, the, like, what's the practical first step? Like, what's the one thing that they can do right now if they pulled their car over or stopped running or you know, stopped mowing their grass while they're listening? If they could just stop for a second to become more self-aware, what's the first, what's really the first practical thing? Practical thing. I, I'll just admit, I, I was a hopeless. Uh, my coach uh, was about to give up on me. We, we would sit <laughs> in a circle of men at a retreat and he would ask, what are you feeling right now mentally, emotionally, uh, physically, uh, spiritually? And I was like a deer in headlights. I could tell you what I thought. I could tell you what I believed. I could tell you what my convictions were. And uh, by the way, feelings are for women and children. Uh, (laughs) They're not important and they're changeable. So the only thing that matters is what you're committed to, what your convictions and beliefs are, and what you're going to do. And and I made a 180 degree turn on that. Mm. And the reason is, he said, okay, look, Alan, I want you to write down on a three by five card here, six feelings, mad, glad, sad, tender, excited, or scared. Mm. And carry this card around in your pocket and pull it out of your pocket a hundred times a day and look at it and ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? And frankly, uh, it was a revelation to me. Okay, so maybe I only pulled it out 10 times a day. Sure. But, but I'd look at that thing and I'd have to think, what, which one of those six feelings do I feel? And more often than not, I'd find that I was feeling in the midst of having a great public image of go-go, cheerleader, total self-confidence, um, feeling anxious, uh, worried, uh, uh, frustrated, concerned, all those words go in the fear category. Mm. I was, <clears throat> I, I would never admit to myself that I was f- afraid or that I was fearful. 
I mean, I did a life, a life of things that proved how unafraid I was. But the truth of the matter was down deep inside, I carried a lot of fear, anxiety about the business, about uh, what's happening with this employee and this employee or this customer or what's happening in the city or what's happening in the nation or my concern about politics or my concern about uh, military issues or international issues. So I was concerned about a lot of things, concerned about trying to understand my wife, trying to understand my kids. Um, and all those things are fears that we can end up carrying and not even be aware that we're carrying those fears. So just by writing down a simple list of feelings, pulling it out and look and ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? Was has been a great start for me. And I still do that. Uh, I don't have to carry the card, but I still do it. Well, what I love about that is it creates a baseline of language that you can really begin to like, because I think most people get a little overwhelmed with the feeling talk and, and it's the words that scare us that we're supposed to be something that we're not. And yet what I like about this approach is that you could just take, Hey, just take six basic words, you know, like three of them all rhyme. um, And and then and then just carry it with you and when you're unsure of what's going on inside of you kind of that self-examination which is is clearly a big part of you know wisdom taking the time for self-examination then it just it kind of comes out how how far along were you in your career when you decided to get a coach and really start diving into some of this stuff well uh let's see uh it was about uh 22 years ago and um so uh, I was about, uh, let's see, I was about 48 years old, and uh, I had been president of my company uh, for, um, let's see, uh, 20 years. Yeah. So I've been a CEO for 20 years, and um, so this was not a new thing. Uh, I felt very confident to run my business, and, uh, you know, I was involved in leadership in the community on the Orange Bowl Committee and the board of directors of the Chamber of Commerce and the United Way and all these other things in the community, as well as on the board of my church, um, you know, doing good things and, and building a business and, and uh, uh, expanding it around Florida and Georgia. But um, uh, I got to a certain point where I realized I had hit a wall and that got my attention. Yeah. It, it, in your book, you write at uh, at the age of 47, my little kingdom was crumbling. I, I was wondering if you could tell us about that moment, about kind of uh, what was happening in, in your heart then. At this point in time, you already, like you said, had had run your, your real estate development kind of uh, um, enterprise for 20 years. I mean, from all accounts, yeah. you were wildly successful. And uh, I love the language. My little kingdom was crumbling. Can you tell us about that moment? Yeah, we had the largest commercial real estate brokerage company in the state of Florida uh, and um, probably the largest developer of office buildings in the state of Florida. So it was a pretty serious business. And uh, now we've expanded far beyond office buildings, but that's another story. But at that time, um, I was having trouble with particularly one of my kids. I love my kids dearly. Mm -hmm. And one of my kids was acting out and and got suspended from school. And and, uh, I I told her that if she got in trouble one more time, that was going to be the last straw. She's going to have to go away to boarding school. And 
because the stress on my wife was more than she could handle. And so uh, I put her in a boarding school up in uh, uh, Long Island, New York. And, um, and after one semester, she got expelled from that school. And uh, then I put her in a, a, a kind of a, a really tough emotional lockdown school up in northern uh, Vermont. And um, at the same time, my wife was going through a lot of difficulties that I couldn't understand. She would lock herself in home and cry when I was not home and I'd hear about it uh, uh, kind of sideways. I'd find out about it. Mm. And, um, and uh, I had conflict going on between two of the senior officers in my company. And, uh, and I was kind of walking on eggshells around them. Uh, you know, why would I be walking on eggshells around two other guys when I own the company and I'm the president <laughs> of the company, you know, right. embarrassing. but that was the truth. I mean, that's the, that's the embarrassing truth. And so I had all these different things going on and driving, you know, two weeks after dropping off my daughter in, uh, in, in school in Vermont, I started having some really bad headaches. I mean, really severe headaches. I, mm. I wake up at six o'clock in the morning with a, with a severe headache and take my Excedrin Four hours later, I take another two Excedrin. Four hours later, another two Excedrin, and on and on through the day, and then take my Excedrin and go to bed. Wake up at two in the morning and take my Excedrin, and then wake up at six in the morning with a splitting headache. So I knew that uh, you know something was seriously wrong. So I went to the head of neurosurgery at my hospital, and uh, he interviewed me, and he said, "Well, Alan, I'll tell you right now, with those symptoms, you've got a brain tumor." Hmm. Let's do the MRI and let's see where your tumor is. And then we'll know what our options are. And I thought, okay, well, I, I can deal with anything. And, you know, if God wants me to go, then, um, you know, if this is the way I go, then it's out of my control. But uh, uh, let's see what the options are. So it took him three weeks to go through the process of the MRI, get scheduled, and then come back and and do a, a CAT scan because the MRI wasn't conclusive. And then he came back in and he told me uh, after the CAT scan, he said, look, Alan, I've examined the films myself and your tumor is not there. And I said, well, Doc, why are you calling it my tumor? <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, I can give you pancation. I can give you beta blockers. I can give you muscle relaxants, but, um, and that'll get the pain under control. I said, you're, you're kidding. Is that the best you got? I mean, you don't know what's causing it. You're, you're sure that it's not a physical problem. And you're going to give me this to mask the pain? I said, that's, 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 all, that's all I know to do. Mm. So, okay, well, I'm going to get serious. I got to get to the bottom of this. Because what this is telling me, if there's no physical cause, I must be causing this myself. Mm. And so... I, uh, I decided to take it seriously because I was really looking down the barrel of a gun here, thinking that I only had months to live and, and what would happen to my company, what would happen to my family um, if, you know, if I dropped dead of a brain tumor. Um, so I thought, how about if I step out of the company and give this my full-time attention, I ended up hiring a former executive to back in and run the company for me for three months while I took a sabbatical for three months. And, um, and I was I hired a counselor and, a and a, uh, an executive coach 
to help me work through uh, and discover what was going on with, you know, that was causing these headaches. And, uh, and that was, that was how it all began. And the three months turned into three amazing years, my sabbatical. Wow. And, uh, I ended up managing the company and more as a chairman rather than a CEO. Uh, but for the most part, I stayed out of the office and, um, and deep, dove deeply into my journey. And it was a journey of great, uh, great, exciting discovery and uh, sometimes painful uh, mm. discovery. But that was how it started. I'm wondering if you could tell me about the moment when you decided to extend that sabbatical from uh, three months to three years or, or you know, did you know, like, I think there are a lot of people in our journey in their journey right now who are listening to this and they feel like the winds of change may be blowing and yeah. uh, they, they started out on a path, but now God is moving them in a new direction. Um, how, how did you know, how did you know that this was the right move? How did you hear God so clearly in that? Um, what was that moment like when you went to your, I mean, you, you have people you're accountable to, you're the CEO, but there's, there's people there. There's a lot of people depending on you. You know, when you go to tell them, Hey, I think I'm just going to keep not coming into work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I gave the fellow I hired uh, the authority as the managing director of the company um, to, uh, to run things. And, uh, and I would show up once a week or so. um, And so people would see that I was still alive and healthy and smiling and, uh, but, uh, and I had to go in to make, uh, critical decisions that needed to be, made. um, but, uh, but taking myself out of the routine, notifying all the community organizations and my church that I had to step out uh, for a time, um, uh, that I wasn't going to be available to serve on this board or this committee. And, um, and so it gave me a kind of freedom that I had never given myself permission Hmm. Uh, to have. Um, and I didn't realize that freedom was more than just a political idea. It's a powerful spiritual concept. Yeah. Uh, in Galatians 5.1 in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, for it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Hmm. You know, we think so much about our, I find myself thinking so much about my duty to God or doing good, or doing the right thing, or uh, being accountable to God, ultimately, is sometimes I forget that God wants our freedom. Um, And it is for that freedom is a goal in and of itself in God's economy, for it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Mm. And that we, we, he doesn't want us to continue to enslave ourselves by our rules that are not his rules and with our, uh, our guilt and shame that we carry around that he wants to forgive us from and give us freedom from. So um, it was probably one of the first revelations in my taste of freedom uh, during that time uh, made me hunger for more. Uh, I wanted to know how to just enjoy life again, instead of, just being a hard driving uh, taskmaster of myself mostly 
but also of everyone around me. Hey, everybody, just pausing this conversation with Alan to remind you that we're a part of the Spirit and Truth Podcast Network. Our goal is through intentional conversation to help move you closer to Jesus. So check us out, spiritandtruth.life, to learn all things about Spirit and Truth. And if you're so moved, we would be honored if you would consider supporting our ministry by becoming a monthly giver. Our ministry is completely funded by donors like you, and all of your gifts enable us to continue to do the things that we love to do to share the kingdom of God. Again, for more information, check us out, spiritandtruth.life. Now, let's finish up my conversation with Alan. So you work with leaders all over the globe, and um, you do retreats, and you help them find this freedom. Um, but I, I would imagine there's a fair amount of people that you're coaching or that your team is coaching and they can't afford to take three years uh, off work. Oh, absolutely. This is a, that's a very, very rare right. thing. <laughs> right. And uh, how do we, how do we start the journey to freedom in the spaces that are given to us today? Well, I'll tell you the, the, the ways that have been most helpful to me that are uh, doable that are simple and that are um, that for me were uh, a revelation is that is what my counselor said to me after about uh, three months. He said, Alan, uh, would you do anything I ask you to do? I said, well, I don't know about that, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I tell you what, I'll think about it overnight and, uh, and I'll come back. And I did. And I said, you know, I figured if he asked me to do something really ridiculous, I could just fire him. <laughs> right. <laughs> he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to AA meetings. Mm. I want you to go to 60 meetings in 60 days. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. And he said, I'm deadly serious. I said, but I'm not an alcoholic. Why would I go to AA meetings? And he said, because God is there. Mm. I said, oh, this is great. Here I am, an elder in my church. I've written a, I've directed a Christian ministry in addition to running my business. Um, I run a charitable foundation that supports Christian ministries. Um, in a book on Christian apologetics, and I got to go to an AA meeting because God is there. He said, yeah. Mm. So I said, uh, wow. And then I thought, well, what do I do if somebody recognizes me at an AA meeting? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a kind of a well-known guy in my little community. It's I'm like being a big fish in a little pond. And, and uh, you know, am I going to go in there with the dregs of society? And, and uh, are they going to think I'm an alcoholic and all mm. that? I had all these. Um, that's really the truth about what I was afraid of. I was afraid of my, uh, my image. Yeah. I was afraid of my reputation. And uh I ended up going with a group of the guys in my my uh, my forum group who decided they'd go with me to support me, and it was an astonishing experience. We heard people share. Nobody had a persona. Nobody was trying to fix anybody else. Nobody was telling you how great they were. They were telling you the truth about the pain in their lives. Yeah, about how they had screwed up their lives, and it was in a circle of what I would call a circle of grace. Mm. where nobody was judging anybody, but people were being brutally vulnerable, authentic, and honest about the pain that they had caused themselves and the pain that they had caused those around them. 
And I was just flabbergasted. I had never seen anything like that. And certainly any business group I was in or certain in any church group that I was in uh, that level of honesty. And, um, and then I discovered Al-Anon, which is family and friends of alcoholics. And they are in the same kind of 12-step recovery process from themselves, being enablers of the addict that they love. And uh, I said, wow, I really relate to that group uh, even, even more. So I ended up going to AA and Al-Anon meetings. And, uh, you know, you can $300 an hour for a really good psychologist, or you can pay a dollar an hour and go to an AA meeting and get about the same result. <laughs> so I kind of like the econ- the economics of paying a dollar uh, to go to a, a, an AA meeting or an Al-Anon meeting and just sitting there quietly and listening and journaling my thoughts and writing down what is it that I'm feeling right now? What am I becoming aware of about myself as I listen to these other dear, honest, authentic people tell their stories? And uh, that began opening a whole door of of self-awareness in my own life. And I, I went, ended up going not just for, for 60 days, but for many years. Yeah. One of the things that I love that people say at the end of 12 step meetings is uh, keep coming back. It works. If you work it. Yeah. <laughs> keep coming back. It works. If you work it. And it, it's, well, it's, it's the mindset that you're talking about when you, when you're kind of talking about going all in, right? Like, it's just like, Hey, show up, do the little things every day and decide where your priorities are. Um, and, and that kind of leads me to my next question. How in the midst of this um, transformational journey, did you shift your priorities? I mean, cause I obviously, you know, you created some margin, which I think is important. We all need margin. Uh, you found some people to help you. And then you, you committed yourself to a lifestyle that was different from what was. So all of that had to change the way you see the world. What did those new priorities look like for you? And then how did you express it to your wife, June? I'm curious because my (laughs) wife would think I was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, first I'll just say that, that the, the, uh, the, the process was a process of stages. Hmm. It's not flipping a light switch. Some people like describe it as peeling an onion. You know, you peel the onion and you see this beautiful onion nicely peeled and you realize, hey, I've done it. And then discover, well, there's another layer. And so you start cutting off that other layer and you get that layer off of the onion and you discover it looks great. But wait, there's another layer. And there's layer upon layer upon layer of going into the truth about yourself and seeing more and more truths about yourself. Um oftentimes um, hurtful and self-defeating behaviors that we carry on in our lives, whether it's NAA, maybe it's drinking or NA, maybe it's Narcotics Anonymous, maybe it's drugs or, or, or prescriptions, or whether it's SA with Sex Addicts Anonymous. Um, you know, we all have different ways of medicating ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so... Uh, that's that's one of the places to I think to start is realize that there's a journey of layers of discovery, um, and and the layers are, are terrific. And with each layer, um, you you realize 
that you're not exactly the person you thought you were and you can have more compassion and empathy for the weaknesses and foibles of others around you when you realize, hey, wait a minute, I just, mine are just a little different. <laughs> so we work so hard on maintaining our persona that what happens is when we become less about our persona, less about our public image, uh, less about defending ourselves and more about uh, being open and curious about what we, what more we need to see about ourselves. I think it makes us easier to live with. And my children tell me it's made me more approachable than I was before for uh, better relationships with them um, as well as uh, the people that I work with and, uh, and the men in my group who are very quick to observe when I'm, uh, when I'm believing my own PR. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I've got some friends like that too. Little humility partners is what I call them. <laughs> yes. uh, I'm from a Wesleyan tradition. So we have a band meeting and uh, there's a pastor that I get together with every week and we confess sins to each other. And yes. uh, it's an old Wesleyan practice. And uh, it, there's nothing more humbling than going in to, and telling another human all of your mistakes or the areas where you're struggling the most. And so it, it sounds a lot like the journey that you've been on. Yes. That's a great discipline right there. Um, it's uh, It really helps you uh, get and stay centered. And uh, one of the things that we do in our, in our monthly forum meetings with our men is we have a thing called a clearing hmm. where uh, when we start the meeting, we reaffirm absolute confidentiality. And then uh, and we check in with what we're feeling. Uh, and uh, that's one of the ways we become aware of not just what the other men are feeling, but we've been what is it we're feeling ourselves mm. uh, by, by checking in with what we're feeling. And then we do what's called a clearing where uh, we look each man in the eye and, and say, uh, I don't, I, I feel clean and clear with you. Um, and we go around the circle and we say, you know, um, there's something that bothered me last week, you know, but maybe it's, you know, I, I called you and you didn't return my phone call or I sent you a text message. It was really important. I never heard from you. And I feel, I, you know, I'm ticked off about that. I don't like that. And uh, I felt like you were too busy for me or, or whatever it is you felt mm -hmm. to show up with that, even though it seems like a little nitpicky, maybe even seem like a childish little grievance. Because what happens is we carry these little childish grievances and nitpicky irritations around inside of us. And because of that, it, it subconsciously affects our relationship with that other person. And what, what I find when I do a clearing with somebody over something that may seem very minor, I discover, wow, I have more feelings inside about this than I thought I did. Mm. And, um, and so, and the other man, um, honors me by listening to the facts and the feelings and the judgments and what do I want about, around that uh, without giving any explanation, without giving any uh, justification or defensiveness, just honoring me by listening fully. And that's, that's a great gift to give to one another. So that's one of the things along the journey uh, when you ask, well, you know, how do you go through this? Well, that's, these are different elements of it. 
uh, being in a circle of grace, being in a forum with others, uh, going to someplace like AA or Al-Anon, and, and speaking truth in, in a vulnerable way in a safe container with other men. So you've got lots of years of experience in community. It's clearly a major part of your story. Um, you know, even in just the, the short time that we've been talking today, you've probably mentioned your community almost more than anything else between your, um, your YPO group or the retreats or the, the 12 step meetings. Um, I imagine there's somebody listening right now who is not in an intentional community. And I was wondering if you could take your years of wisdom and tell them why they should get into an intentional community that helps them grow as a human. Well, I, I, th- I think probably Harville Hendricks, uh, the counselor, said it uh, best when he said that we are made to be in relationship. Mm. And we are injured in relationship and we are healed in relationship. Wow. And that's where we will find the healing that we need to be the whole people, the wholehearted people that uh, God made us to be. And that I think that that um, that is uh, the gift uh, that we have and that we can give to ourselves uh, to be in uh, in relationship, really not casual relationship, but intimate relationship uh, with others. Uh, that's where the healing takes place. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so I, I know my audience. I know that they are praying people. And uh, as this book begins to kind of find its way out into the wilderness, um, there I would love for them to know how to pray for you and how to pray for this book as it goes into the world. Well, thank you. Um, my hope Uh, is very simple, and that is that God would use this book to bless and heal the lives of many, many, many men. A hundred percent of the proceeds from the sale of this book go straight back into the All In Foundation, uh, charitable foundation. Uh, Nobody makes any profits off of this book. It all goes in to help create men's groups and to help sponsor uh, people in ministry or otherwise who cannot afford to come to a retreat uh, where we can scholarship people into retreats and into forums. Um, and uh, we were, we were, I was in the working really hard to build a retreat center and I'm a real estate developer. I'm a builder. And <laughs> I was at every possible roadblock with building this, this retreat center in South Florida. And my wife said to me one day, why are you, why are you working so hard to build this retreat center to help hundreds of men when you could write a book that may help millions of men? Mm. And all I could say was, duh. <laughs> of course, all the wisdom comes from sure. my wife and her insights watching me unsuccessfully try to get this retreat center built. And so um, I had had, uh, some of you may know, um, one of my mentors um, was a man by the name of Dr. Bill Bright, who uh, founded a, a nonprofit a Christian ministry uh, called, at the time, Campus Crusade for Christ. And now it's called Crew. And uh, I worked as his assistant at one time. And, um, and uh, he, he was like a mentor, like an uncle to me for many years. 
And when he was uh, diagnosed with a terminal illness, he asked me to come spend time in, in Orlando, and I spent the weekend with him. And um, I shared with him my new journey, uh, why I had taken a sabbatical from everything I was doing. And he said, Alan, you've got to write a book about this. This would help so many men. Well, that was November of 2000. Wow. I spent the last 20 years thinking about it. I said, Bill, I couldn't even write the preface to a book. <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out myself. Well, I've spent 20 years now uh, figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, so during when COVID came, I said, well, I guess this is the gift of the time to write the book. Yeah. And so I just tried to be as authentic and as honest and, and as helpful and direct uh, as I could so that it could be a very practical help to men who may feel stuck or may feel like they don't have the joy in their lives that they, that they want, uh, or they don't have the freedom in their lives that they want. Um, and cause I felt stuck and I felt like I had lost my joy and I felt like I had lost my vision and my mission for, for both my business and my life. And, um, and, uh, so the, this is what I wanted to share in the book. And, I would just be so grateful for people's prayers that um, that this book would find its way into the hands of as many people as possible that it could encourage and help them in their journey. That's beautiful. Help, help them get their lives back. Yeah, that's good. It's real good. Uh, okay, I have one more question for you. Um, but before I ask it, I always know that my listeners are going to want to connect with you on the interwebs. Where is the best place to learn all about uh, Alan Morris and what he's doing in the world. <laughs> Great. Well, the, the website for the, for the book and what we're calling all in leaders ministry is, uh, all in book.com. A L L I N B O O K.com. It's as simple as that in book.com. And, um, that'll lead you to, uh, the information about the book, uh, my bio and, and, uh, and then as we have future resources, we're going to have online courses that'll be available. Mm. In two weeks, we're going to be filming a, web, a webinar series so that people can go online and get a lot of free resources. Uh, when they buy the book, they can also get free resources online that the book launches them into with, uh, with a website on the, on the, in the book. So that'll, the book will be out. Uh, it'll be distributed by Simon and Schuster uh, on May 3rd. So it's about uh, less than two months away uh, from now. And uh, 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 so if you order the book now, which you can do at allinbook.com, uh, you'll have access to all those resources. That's awesome. Love it. Uh, now, you, you yourself aren't really super active on any particular social media personally. Uh, all the information about uh, about the book will be on LinkedIn and uh, Facebook and Instagram, um, and uh, and so I have my web pages there. And Got if you care about the Alan Morris Company to know who we are, who I am from a business standpoint, that's on there on the internet as well. AlanMorris.com. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, last question. I always love to ask people. It's an advice question except I get to name the, um, I'm going to ask you to give yourself a piece of advice, except I get to name the day and the time. And so um, 
what I would love to do is to take you back to the end of your very first day as the CEO of this company. So you just finished you just finished a, a long, hard day at work. It probably never actually ended. You probably just drifted off into sleep, uh, get, knowing your personality a little bit after spending some time with you. <laughs> if you could sit across from that young man, sit knee to knee with him and look him in the eyes, what's the one thing that you want to tell him? Uh, Alan, you can be kind to yourself. Hmm. And whatever you do with your business, and whatever you do with your service in the community, or your service for Christ, uh, do it with kindness towards yourself. You don't have to kill yourself um, to please God. And I think uh, I found myself uh, probably uh, not knowing when to when to quit because I always want, felt like I must do the next thing and then must do the next thing. Amen. Amen. That's that's a really good word to end on. Alan, thank you so much for your generosity today, for your time, for your uh, vulnerability. Uh, so much fun getting to hear your story, and I can't wait to see what God does with this book. Well, thank you, Tony. It's a pleasure to be with you on the Reclamation Podcast today. What a great dialogue. I love his heart and his uh, perspective. I love the way he shares his wisdom. So touched by his ability to just be honest and share kind of how life was like an onion, right? And it's got its stages and perspective. And, um, you know, that just means a lot. I think it's important for all of us to pause and listen to those who have been places where we've never been. So I'm thankful for Alan. And if you're thankful for Alan, hit him up on socials, check out his book, All In, and uh, make sure that you let him know that you heard him here on the Reclamation Podcast. As always, it's an absolute honor and a privilege to be on this journey with you. I love our community. Uh, If you haven't yet, go on to Spirit and Truth on the Facebook page and join our everyday Facebook group, Living the Faith. It's a great way to stay connected with what God is doing in our community. And we always ask good questions about uh, what God is doing in your life. So it's a great way to give some feedback. Thank you guys so much for being here. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.